Welcome back to the Oklahoma Drill. It's been it's been quite some time, friends, but we're here. Alex, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, you know, I was. You know, it's been so long since we've potted. We we had we had a false start to start out, so that's. Yep. Yeah, we're a little bit rusty on this, but um, yeah, I'm doing doing good just finished up some some school and yeah so i mean that's really why we haven't potted right i mean we've both been we are both very excellent graduate students exactly not a lot of time to pod Mm -hmm. just pinnacles of discipline in our academic pursuits um and that's really just that really gets in the way of our rigorous podcasting schedule because we were so consistent before. Right. Yeah, I know. We had our we had our weekly time that we were we were every week coming at you with pods and it just, just kinda of slowed down. Um but yeah, good to be back. And we're gonna talk about basketball today. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. And which is kind of funny too. Like remember when we actually had a, a podcast dedicated to basketball? I do. Solely and that it had a great name. But <laughs> so, but uh, for those who don't know, it was called Alley Oops. We made a basketball podcast. It's not available anymore. Um, the hosting, uh, the host went down. Yeah, um, but it was was just an astonishingly wordy name. Yeah, um, but it was great. We did. Uh, I really think like the pinnacle of um, sports podcasting was the like hour and a half we spent discussing um jeremy grant's uh player option team option was it a team option or a player option it was a team option discussing whether or not the thunder would take jeremy grant's team option or not and this it's important to remember again this is pre jeremy grant being good right yeah this was after i think his first year in oklahoma city and you know, but I will say that I, you know, I take some some pride in that he's become a a good player on a bad team type guy. You know, he's yeah. average, I think he averaged like twenty two points a game this year, and hey, I'll I'll take it, I'll take it. We were right, we were right yeah. all along. Yeah, so. we absolutely were. One thing uh, I was thinking about too, you know, just thinking back on previous pods that we've done, I was thinking about this today. Do you remember the podcast that we made? I believe it was after the Thunder were just, they were completely collapsing down the stretch of the season. It was with Russ and Paul George in year two with Paul George. And I think we potted after a, a really bad Miami Heat loss. And I remember one of the things that you talked about at the end of that pod was, and I agreed with you, is that we felt really great about having a really reliable three and D wing and Terrence Ferguson and having a (laughs) really interesting combo forward that we could build around and be like solid role players on the next great thunder team. And yeah, that was, that was fantastic. Those were some fantastic takes by on our part, but yeah, obviously a lot has happened since that, that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So much has happened. And, you know, had we kept Jeremy Grant, um, he would be a great piece to build around um, or to be a part of the build for the next great Thunder team. Um, but that's just not how things worked out. 
which is okay. Yeah, um, which we were wrong. Us... Terrence Ferguson was nothing, and we were we were very wrong about that. Yeah, which brings us to our first topic of of the night, and that is we are going to fully uh, discuss what the Thunder could look like if they had not traded Jeremy Grant and how he would fit with every player individually on the team. Um, obviously I'm kidding. That is, that is not what we're going to talk about. That would I mean, be really... if there were anybody, if there were any two people who could do that off the cuff, yeah, it would be no, the I, people I think who so. were locked in on the Jeremy train <laughs> from the very beginning. Right. All right. But, but in, in all honesty, um, the Thunder season just ended and it was a very eventful season. Like, and I, I think that, you know, the, there were really kind of a couple of phases of the season. There was the the opening part, or really the first half of the season, where both, or I know me personally, I had about a breakdown pretty much every other game when they would win, or if they were looking like they would win, I would have like a mental breakdown and just be cussing every player and every coach and everything um, because, you know, they're, they're screwing up their draft pick. And then I didn't have a lot of bitching to do for the second half of the season because they became the worst team in the history of basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Which was really smart. Um, I just like, just to get this out of the way, longtime listeners will understand uh, innately that we were for this. But um, it was an extremely good thing that they became as bad as they did. Uh, yeah. That's the official stance of this pod. Right. I mean, I was... I really enjoyed the fact that they were losing by 40 every night, or 20, you know, because it was there was no stress. You know, it was like you, you follow the score, you watch a little bit, and you just, you can be like, okay, all right, this is going how it should go. And that was to me just very relaxing for the for the majority of the, the end of the season. You know, obviously the Boston game and then, you know, the last game of the year where the Clippers actively tried to lose the game and they succeeded. Um, those those games caused a little bit of, of anger for me. But um, overall it was it I guess as an end result. You know, the way that they got there was not super traditional, I would say. But the end result, they hit their under for the season, barely. I think by half game, I think they were under, over under was 22 and a half. So they hit the under for the season. You know, there was a point in March where they literally had 20 wins. They were, you know, three games away from, from hitting their over, and they somehow didn't do it. So I think in the end, you have to be fairly happy with the result. Um, in terms of kind of the lottery odds, I would have liked to, you know, lose a couple more. But, you know, I, I don't think you can p- complain too, too much about landing the, the fourth, you know, tying for the fourth best odds for this season. And so so one thing I've been kind of thinking about and just seeing people talk about a lot is – Kind of the 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 talker round tanking, and obviously you know there was the Scott Van Pelt thing where you know he was you know calling out the Thunder for egregiously tanking, which they did. But my thing about tanking is that I just don't understand why people care about it. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I, I absolutely understand what you mean. And I do have an answer. You can keep going. Um, you can elaborate on that point, and then I'll share you with you my okay. answer. Sure. Um, but, yeah, my point is, though, is that, like, you know, the Thunder fan base, I feel like, was relatively engaged in what was going on with the Thunder this year. I mean, obviously, I know that Twitter is not the real world. Um, and there are other fans that impact. But, you know, when you move into a rebuilding phase, you're not going to have just this rabid fan base. And I think that that's OK. But the idea that, you know, the Thunder were able to have the fan base kind of interested in their plan this year in tanking, I think that's super positive. And then I don't understand why fans of, you know, we'll say for you know, the Lakers or whatever, even care about what's going on in Oklahoma City. You know what I mean? Like, this was the first year that they've done this. You know, maybe if you're talking four or five years like the Sixers did, maybe there's a conversation. But even then, I think you could look at that as being that that situation worked out for them. They're the number one seed in the East because of what they did, even though they bungled everything after it. Right. And so to me, the Thunder are literally like they're just playing the odds, you know, and I I don't even care about the small market, big market thing. Obviously, the Thunder know they're not getting getting free agents. But the thing that's more important to me is that the Thunder could easily have put together a playoff team this year if they had wanted to. They were a playoff team last year, you know. They build off what they have last year with Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, re-sign him, trade, you know, five of their a million picks and bring in a couple of other guys to help last year's team. And you've got yourself a pretty good playoff team that's, you know, probably fighting for home court advantage. And to me as a fan, it's really important and good when I look at the organization thinking that that's not enough. You know what I mean? They they don't look at that as a positive. Like they don't look at a three-year playoff run as something that they want. They're looking at competing for championships and having a 12-year playoff run. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. Here is what I think is the unspoken um like the unspoken argument from the league against tanking. Um more even than like uh, fan attendance, which is often a thing brought up in terms of the Philly thing. And I really do think that the Scott Van Pelt like minute was instructive on this because of how it was framed, how he started by bringing up the Thunders over under. The problem with tanking for the NBA is gambling. The problem is that it's difficult to make money in Vegas when you know that Oklahoma City is trying to lose. Um, and that's just, I mean, it's horseshit. Um, because Scott Van Pelt understands. Everyone understands. Philly is obviously instructive in this instance. That if the Thunder want to win a championship, which is the stated goal of every team in the league, if the Thunder would like to win a championship and compete for more than one, then they need to tank. Taking is straightforwardly the best option, even at the reduced lottery odds. Every like, You need to be bad in order to get good players. That is 
there's no argument that that's not like straightforwardly the best strategy available for the Thunder now. Um, and basically anything else would lead to mediocrity. The difference is that a mediocre team, like, <laughs> like there is action in Vegas for a mediocre team. There's not action in Vegas for a team that's trying to lose. And that's the difference. Yeah. Well, the thing that bothers me about this, this is that there are so many teams in the league that, you know, I mean, the Houston Rockets, the Sacramento Kings, Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, those teams, why do they get more credit for what they do when they're just objectively run horribly? Why do the Thunder, like the result is the same. They put out bad products, but the Thunder are doing it intentionally. I don't understand why a team doing it intentionally in order to be more competitive a couple years down the line is looked at worse than a team that is just so incompetent that they've had multiple number one draft picks. They still can't build a team that can get out of the bottom five, right? Like, I don't understand that idea at all. You know what I mean? Like, the Thunder played good basketball this year, even when they weren't playing good players. You know, Shea got hurt. You know, they, they decided to sit Al Horford. And... But the Thunder never stopped trying on the court. You know, they played basketball. They didn't do what the Clippers did in the last right. game. They, yeah. The Clippers were extremely instructive in yeah. terms of, like, if you wanted – if a team really wanted to ensure that it lost every game, you could do that. You could. You could run all your offensive possessions through Daniel Aturu if you want to. You know what I mean? And that, that'll, that'll get you some losses. But the Thunder didn't do that. You know, and they were the thing that I, I just really like about what the Thunder do are doing is that they're just very intentional about everything. There's a reason behind it. And I, I don't understand why that gets more criticism than the Minnesota Timberwolves that have, you know, two number one picks on their current roster. They traded away another number one pick. They have a number two pick in D'Angelo Russell on their team. And they and they also like if they don't wind up with a top three pick this year, they're going to send that pick to Golden State. Like that's how incompetent they are. You know what yeah. I mean? They made a huge trade for D'Angelo Russell and they got worse after it. And now they yeah. might lose a top four pick. You know what I mean? So I just it's really, you know, I, sh you know, I shouldn't spend time thinking about it, but I do. But and, I, you know, I am a homer for the Thunder, and I, I do approve of what they're doing. But I just – I don't understand why people care, you know. Like it makes – you know, all you have to do is look at it and be like, oh, yeah, they're trying to get good players. Good. Good for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like who cares about what else? You know what I mean? So um, that's my that's my tanking thing. I don't, I don't have anything against any team that decides that they want to tank. I think it's a smart decision. Um and, you know, especially when you choose to do it before the season, I think it's a it's just the, the smart play. Yeah. Um, and like the, the Sam Presti, actually, um, and I don't think this is actually recorded anywhere, which is annoying, but he was uh, talking to some portion of Philly media. Um, and then this was relayed secondhand by like a Philly podcast um, about how tanking 
Like, look at what, like, the Clippers and the Nets and Milwaukee have done in terms of just throwing away all of their draft picks in the future. And, like, you look at it and you say, like, okay, so they're willing to throw away their futures to win now, but and that's okay, even though we know they're going to be terrible in the future as a result. Um, but you can't, but, like, being responsible and preparing to be better in the future, that's not okay. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, there's just this never-ending, just ridiculous competitive argument and competitive spirit, and I I just don't care, you know? Like, I think it's all silly... I want my team to have the best chance to win a championship. And I I think that they're doing what they need to do to try to do that, you know, and just imagine like all the thunder have to do if they win one championship in Oklahoma city, then that's one of the most impressive things that an NBA franchise has ever done. You know what I mean? Like if you win a championship in Oklahoma city, then you you've done something incredible in the NBA. Yeah most prominent free agent signing in their history is Mike Mascala. And <laughs> if they walk home with rings, then that's, you know, that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We've got a, we've got Sam Davis here who have a guest that has joined the chat. Yes. Um, so yeah, Sam, we were just basically talking about the thunder season and how, you know, you heard the tanking talk. Yeah. Um, just, so, I, I want to kind of go into to kind of what we learned about what the Thunder currently have on the roster right now. And then we'll talk a little bit about the draft kind of prospects later. But kind of want to, you know, we have a, you know, not a huge sample size of of what we saw, you know, from the players this year. I mean, I think Shea played, what, like 35 games or something? And Yeah, I think 35. Yeah, and, and Dort missed a lot of time. But I feel like we learned quite a bit about um, the players that we did have on the roster. I think we learned uh, an, an inordinate amount of about Moses Brown. So, um, but Some I, might say too much about Moses Brown. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just kind of wanted to go through the current roster. And we won't talk about everybody because I don't care about, you know, Charlie Brown and josh hall so um but let's start with shay and you know kind of based on what we've seen i know there are a lot of of thunder fans and thunder kind of media people that are kind of going all in on what they've they saw from shay this year and do you guys feel like that that kind of talk of him being a top 15 bordering top 10 player at some point is is warranted from what we saw this year to me, I mean, that seems maybe a little bit high. I think, I mean, top 15 is definitely um, doable. I think the bottom end of that, kind of like where Jimmy Butler has been a lot of his recent career, like 15 is probably the peak for him. I don't necessarily think Shea is ever the number one on a championship team kind of guy, but I think he's he's firmly like a championship player, like probably a number two guy on a championship team um he's looked incredible all the things that he has done well we've seen him do well like he has improved that this year being on his own um so yeah i'm very happy with him i don't know if i'd go as far as say top 10 but i think we saw a lot of growth from him we saw what we needed to in his 35 game sample 
He got out of this season with his health, with improvement, and that's all we could ask for. Uh, yeah, I think the thing with Shea that you have to determine, I think, is whether before he was sat this season, he would have been due for some regression. And I do think there's a degree to say that that was probably likely, um, given that, you know, had it's like it's the nature of a team that's willing to sit a star that like their stats are actually going to be improved because they're not going to be playing at any point while they're banged up. But the um, like the statistically what Shea did in the 35 games he played this season was um, actually kind of astonishing. Um, you look at what things like leading the league in drives per game, leading the league in unassisted shots per game. Um, there was this really incredible graphic of um, it was like shooters with a mi- with a certain minimum number of three point attempts um, arranged um, by like volume of unassisted threes versus percentage. And there was a, like a hard line, uh, like a diagonal line cutting across. And then had Shea qualified, he would have been the only player on the other side of that line. Um, currently describing what graphs look like um, as a podcast medium is really new territory. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like, like, like Shea's, what Shea demonstrated as an isolation scorer was uh, very, 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 very impressive. And yeah. like in these 35 games, he was playing like Harden and Luca in terms of like comparable facet like shot creators. And, yeah. and you, you talked about, you know, maybe if we saw more of a sample size, then he would have had some regression. But he with the sample size that he had, I mean, he already regressed a little bit from last year when he was playing with more talent around him. So like what we saw this year is probably like his base level of isolation score, which was 72nd percentile on NBA's advanced stats. Like that is more than acceptable for what we think his base level is going to be. Um, he was 87th percentile his rookie year, 80th percentile last year, and 72nd so this year. So I think like we're looking at somewhere in the middle when he has more competent players around him. And that is incredible for a guy this early in his career. Yeah, no. And I, the thing with, with him this year is, I mean, first, I mean, first of all, his counting stats are just, they're great. You know, you put that with the efficiency, took five threes a game. You talked about how most of those were unassisted and off the dribble. He shot 42% from three, um, which is just absurdly good. You know, if he if he is even you know if he's a thirty eight percent three point shooter at that kind of volume, with those kind of difficult shots, he, you know that's incredible. Um, and the thing is, you know, his job was so much harder this year than it was last year. You know, he had the benefit last year of of always either playing with Dennis Schroeder or playing obviously with Chris Paul, which will help anybody, as you can see what he's done with the Suns. And, you know, he wasn't facing the other team's best defender for the most part. This year, it was him. You know, no one else on the team could create a shot. No one. You know, if you're playing the the Clippers, you're going to be seeing Kawhi Leonard the entire game. 
You know what I mean? Like you're going to see the other team's best player um, the entire game. And the, I, the fact that his shooting percentages went up and, you know, his role got so much harder. He was the, the distributor on the team was crazy impressive to me. Um, so I think I do think that the guy is is an all star caliber player. And um, and I, I think what you know Sam said about him not necessarily being the number one on a championship team is probably right because they're really in any given time there's probably only like three of those guys in the league um, or maybe like four or five but you know so it's just insanely hard to get to that level um, but is there any concern about the way this season was structured and Kind of, you know, I think we all kind of, you know, we talked during the season is that like teams did not try very hard against the Thunder. And, you know, I think we kind of explained a way why they were winning games earlier in the year. But is there any concern that like some of Shea's success came because of the effort that other teams were playing against the Thunder in general? I mean, maybe you could attribute some of it to that, but I really just think that, you know, the season, I think the new coach this year, I think the system was set up really well for this team to evaluate the talent we had. Um, we, I was, saw something on Twitter earlier that I was looking through um, kind of, it was a quality of shot metric. And the Thunder, we uh, were like the seventh best team in predicted points per possession you know based on the quality of shots we took so the the coaching was very good i think the it wasn't just you know we were getting lucky with the lack of effort we were playing good basketball early on scott van pelt was complaining that we've given up like the thunder were arguably like the try hardingest team for the portion of the season that he was so fixated on early in the year like i don't think that the the lack of effort from other teams is so much that you can just completely write off everything that we did. Yeah. Um, I think this season is so weird, right? Um, it's, you know, clearly some teams took longer than others to settle into a groove. Um, but I, yeah, it's just hard to say. Um, because I think about, like, the Thunder, like, the reason the Thunder, like, record early on was so, like, out of step with their net rating was because the Thunder were winning a lot of close games and then getting blown out. Um, And I don't know if, like, they were winning all of those close games purely because other teams weren't trying. Um. It's there's there's so many variables and it's such a weird season that I don't know if I can like come down definitively on one side of that or the other. I do think that like I don't think that Shea is going to become like a 25 drives a game player forever. Like I do, I definitely think that was an anomaly. But there's um I don't think it's like I don't think it can be discounted entirely. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I just think it's a a question worth asking. You know, I, I like Shea. I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, but, man, like, 
you just his numbers are so good. Like it's just like they're just kind of almost unreasonably good, you know, for a guy that, you know, two years ago was not a top 10 pick. You know, he went and played for the Clippers and he was essentially like just a wing that shot, you know, open shots all the time. And then last year he was kind of the third option in a lot of in a lot of lineups. You know, I know he, he might have bit led the team in scoring, but, you know, he in a lot of ways was the guy who got the third most shots in some games, you know. Mm-hmm. So to go from that to just being this guy that, you know, he's averaging 24 a game and, you know, he just looks incredible. You know, the stuff you, you watch him do on the court where he is, he's getting into the lane whenever he wants the way he finishes and, you know, cause he's not explosive either. Like he's, a, he's an interesting player to watch too. Like that's, that's another thing about him is that like, he is not the traditional superstar that drives 25 times a game. You know, he's not the no. Derek Rose, Russell Westbrook type. He's the guy that kind of sets you up and is very good at, you know, change of pace and all of that. So, you know, I, it, he's a fun player to watch and, you know, I'm obviously high on him and, you know, I will say for me, I was relatively low on him going into the season. I think I felt like he was more of like a third option type guy and I thought he would get exposed this year um, without having Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder around him to take pressure off of him. And yeah, I was just completely wrong. So, yeah, the thing with you said, you know, his stats look unreal this year, but really, if you dive down into the most important play types, we would want to focus on with Shea for this year, you know, the NBA tracking stats, their play types, transition, isolation, all that stuff. You would think, what are, what are the most important ones for him? Transition, isolation, pick and roll ball handler, and maybe some spot up in there. All of those things, he was slightly worse at than before like he was less efficient at those things like it is like a realistic thing it wasn't like his efficiency was unsustainable and unrealistic like transition he was a bit worse than last year isolation he was slightly worse um pick and roll ball handling he was incredible at but that was a consistent growth from his rookie year to last year to this year and to where he is a 94th percentile like i think if you sort off of different criteria he was like the fourth best pick and roll ball handler this year behind um i think chris paul was up there obviously but i mean he was he was not unrealistic in his efficiency from where he's been before and the one thing that was maybe you could look at and say okay that is an outlier from where he's been at it was consistent growth from where he's been before and that has always been what is known to be his best skills like all the things he did this year I think it's just a product of we saw him do it with more volume, granted fewer games, but we saw it with more volume within those games, and he held up and did incredible with it. So I don't see any reason other than, you know, we might find out next year, maybe that lack of effort was a big deal, but it wasn't like he was playing with, you know, all-star caliber guys against the lack of effort. I mean, he was playing with Moses Brown and Mike Muscala against that lack of effort. So he still had to carry some guys along the way. And I think it's right. more than sustainable to do again. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, you know, like most, you know, any player, if you put them, you get them talent around them, you know, they're going to get, they're going to become more efficient. You know, if you put Chris Paul on this roster this year, um, he probably would have, you know, ha- wouldn't have had those dips in efficiency that he did. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, he's going to be great. 
I'm, I feel really good about him. And I remember, you know, we've kind of a couple times talked about podcasts that we've done in the past. And one of the podcasts that I've listened to probably two or three times, just because, you know, there have been times during the pandemic where I just like I want to like think about the world in a non-pandemic time. And so I've, I've gone back and listened to the Paul George trade pod um, that Ryan and I did. Um, this was when he got traded to the Clippers. And, you know, we were we were all talking about the picks and everything. And we, we liked Shea. And I, I think one of the things Ryan was talking about was that, you know, we've got a really nice point guard that can be a nice 3 and D role player type guy. You know, and I, I was excited about that. You know, and just the idea that two years later, we've gone from thinking we've got a like maybe George Hill type role player to a guy that's probably going to make multiple all star teams like that's that's pretty freaking awesome when it comes to to a rebuild. So um, but let's let's move on from Shea and let's talk about Lou Dort. Um, I know I know Ryan is is the resident Lou Dort Stan on the podcast. Um, Look, how do you feel about Lou Dort, Ryan? Um, it's so funny that you bring that up in that way, because I remember going in to that draft, we did a show where we talked about Lou among other players. And I was so out on the idea of drafting Lou Dort. This was pre Russ. This was pre trades, obviously, because right. those happened after the draft. Um, but I was so out on Lou Dort. I was just like, what does he do on a team with Russell Westbrook? Like, he's right. ju- this is just like, um, and, p- and part of that was like, I definitely, I don't think anybody really understood how good of a defender he would be. Um, because we were like, we were still, we were thinking, I think when we, we did, the Thunder did pick up Blue. I think what we settled on was like, okay, this is a guy who, given some time, his ceiling is maybe like a poor man's Marcus Smart. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just really funny to see him really kind of blow that out of the water. Um, yeah, I think his ceiling now is Marcus Smart. Like I think that is what he can be and what he's shown that he is capable of doing. Yeah. Maybe even less of an offensive presence. Like I think Marcus Smart's probably better ball handler. Um, he played point guard more in college, and then yeah. Lou Dort I think gives you more um, of a defensive aspect. But yeah, I think like you said, poor poor man's Marcus Smart to Marcus Smart as an undrafted free agent. Like that's pretty freaking good in his second year. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the thing with the Smart comparison, I mean, it's obvious for obvious reasons. They're very similar players. I do, like. I do think Marcus is a more refined, like ball handler and office run, offense runner. But I really don't think those are things that are beyond Lou. Um, and this season, um, I mean, he's. I mean, he's. First off, he's demonstrated that the defense he played in the bubble was not a not a flash in the pan thing. He is legitimately probably the best defender of guards and small wings in the NBA right now. Um, and he scored 42 points in a game. Yeah. That's very good. Very uh, good. We'll take that. Yeah. I mean, when the season started, this was another thing about the start of the season is that he was just shooting so well. 
and which which was completely unsustainable and we should have expected the regression that did ultimately happen um but the result is like you know he's just like kind of a below average three-point shooter like <laughs> yeah he's not the he's not completely hopeless the way he was coming into last season um, yeah, and if he can just make one more step in that three-point shooting, I think he's, I mean, one of the best role players in the NBA. But like you said yeah. right now, even below average is a perfectly usable player. Yeah, Whoa. like if he becomes a replacement level three-point shooter, he is so valuable. Yeah. Um, well, right now he's at he's at 34%, but like you said, it's slightly below league average. If that dude gets up to 36%, He's probably a twelve to fifteen million dollar a year player um, right. with the kind of defense he plays. If he gets up to like thirty eight percent, then you know, truly, truly elite three and D player that's pushing twenty million a year. You know, yeah. um, which you know, getting that undrafted. You know, I I remember I know Sam was probably the highest of all of us. You know, in the draft process on on Lou Dort and. You know, I just, you know, I don't think any of us saw this coming, you know, yeah, the, the, and even this year specifically, I was low on Lou Dorks. I was like, yeah, he's not the kind of player that is going to look good in a tanking right. situation. Like, I think he's going to brick a lot of bad threes. His defense isn't really going to show up because it's not going to be in high leverage situations like the playoffs last year. And I thought Thunder fans were going to be super disappointed in Lou Dort this year, even though I still believed in him is a long-term role player. And then right. I think what he showed this year on kind of a somewhat not dysfunctional team, but a very untalented team um, was more than promising for what you want to see in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like the simplest way to put it is that like this team, this team had to be very judicious about sitting Lou Dort. So we would lose games. Right. Like yeah, yeah. he had an effect that meant that, this team could stay in games it probably shouldn't have. Um, I think that his defensive intensity was infectious in a lot of situations. Um, Mm -hmm. And like his shot making wasn't always there, but when it's there, he is a guy who legitimately can get hot. Yeah. Would you guys say that Lou Dort is the, of the current players on the roster, he's the second most important for the future? No. Um, I would say he's third. Third? I think I think third is I think third. I do th- like presently. I think he's definitely the second best. But right. Yeah. yeah I think third. There's a there's a a tall young man that I I have an affinity for. Would that be uh, Mr. Darius Baisley? Are you ready to transition <laughs> into talking about him, or you still got more things to say no, about Luke? Dort? I've got a little bit more on Dort. A little bit more on Dort. Okay, so the thing with him defensively is. He's he's just simply one of the best on-ball defenders I've ever seen in terms of just he can stay in front of anybody, you know, like, I mean, and it doesn't, you know, Dame, he gives Dame trouble, you know, uh, Bradley Beal, like all of these guys, he can he can guard any of them. And, you know, I know when he came into the league, it was like those tools are there, but, you know, it's going to take him four or five years to develop those. But like we saw it in the bubble and we saw it this year, like he is, he's already an elite on ball defender and he's, he's good off ball. I'm not, you know, that's not bad by any means, but just his point of attack defense is elite. And, and the thing with the shooting for me 
is, you know, his percentage is good, 34%. The thing that concerns me the most is, you know, when you look at good shooters in the league, it most of their misses look pretty good. Mm-hmm. Lou Dort still throws up air balls. Lou Dort will still sometimes hit the backboard. You know, like he still has some really bad misses. Yeah. Um, which is a concern to me in terms of, I mean, and he's just, he's not naturally a good shooter. I, I know he's, he's working and he's, he's never going to be that natural shooter, but if he can somehow, you know, even if he just sustains it, what he is, because he's not a shy shooter, he's willing to shoot whenever he's not ever going to be Robertson. And he's already so much more gifted in terms of attacking closeouts you know, if he has space, if they're giving him space, he can take up that space with the dribble. And if he can improve as a finisher at the rim, then that's another element of his of his offensive game that can just be like he could become a pretty elite off ball offensive player, even if he doesn't become that like 38 percent three point shooter on high volume. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I really like Lou Dort. I think he's a guy that. You know, I hope we don't have to pay him $22 million on his next contract, but it wouldn't surprise me if we do, you know, um, he's, he's going to make a lot of money in the NBA, even though he's on like a ridiculous contract right now. Um, but yeah, I want, I want to move on and I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to move on to, to, uh, Alexei Pokashevsky. All right, know. let's do it. Cause that, that young man is. He's something else, man. Like that guy. The only way to describe him, I think. Yeah. He's something else. Like, hey, did you guys see the video of him uh, returning to Novi Sad? No. Um, he arrived back home in Serbia to like uh, like a hero's welcome, and there was like a huge mural painted on the side of a building. That's incredible. It was it was just really wonderful. Love that kid. Yeah. Yeah, it, the thing like he was truly the only reason to watch the Thunder at the end of the year, you know, because you know they weren't playing Dort much. Shea was obviously out, you know. I didn't care about watching Jalen Horde, um, so he was truly the the entertainment value for for most of this season for the Thunder. And you know, I, I texted you guys about this the other night, and just kind of asking what you guys felt like the ceiling for him was and i i don't necessarily see the all-star potential that some people are throwing around you know i i just and the reason why i don't see that is because he's not that athletic in terms of like being able to break people down off the dribble um and i i struggle to see how his ball handling is going to get to a point where he's ever going to be able to do that very well. Um, and I think for a player like him, who I think he's probably going to make his career as kind of a wing type three, four that sometimes plays the five. I think, you know, I, I think he's just going to find a role as a, a really good role player in the NBA. I think, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Poku. I mean, he is. There are so many aspects of Poku that are so tantalizing. Um, and like we talk about his handle, like his handle is understandably very loose because he's seven feet tall. Um, but 
it is like functional in a way that's really impressive for a 19 year old at times like he has beaten like premier defenders um off the dribble i've seen him take mikhail bridges to the rim i've seen i've seen him put mikhail bridges on his ass um and i've seen him take matisse tybel to the rim um it's just purely like he i he has an understanding of what he can do with his relatively limited handle um and he's able to use that really effectively um in bursts because when we talk about poku everything is in bursts like he is a bad basketball player right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean his his numbers are just like kind of comically bad. He shot 34% yeah. from the field. And I'm looking at it. He took nine shots a game and he averaged 8.2 points per game. That's never good. No. <laughs> and, it, you know, it took him basically 10 years before he even attempted a free throw in the NBA. Um, but the thing with Poku that gives me hope and, and the reason why I think we're all fairly high on him as a player is that. You know, he's so free. First of all, he's 19 years old, one of the youngest players in the league. The youngest. And, yeah, the youngest player in the league. And he's just so audacious and ridiculously confident. You know, like he's already the passes that he tries to make and succeeds in making. Like, it's not like he just throws these wild passes all the time that never find their mark. Like, not nah, the dude will throw like an overhand left-handed pass over his head you know to a guy on the wing when he's driving and it like it's right on you know and so you see those things from a guy and you see the feel that he has for the game at that age and like it's it's yeah this guy can can be a winning player you know like I I don't have a lot of concern that he's gonna be a guy that you know is a is a bad stats or a good stats, bad team guy. Like, I think he's a guy that's going to play winning basketball relatively soon. Like, I, maybe not next year, but I think by year three, we're probably looking at a pretty good basketball player that's that's contributing to winning basketball. Um, and that's just not – I didn't expect that from him, you know? Like, you, you saw him, his highlights, and he's playing in this, like, crap league, and no one really knew what to do with him. And I think, I think Mark Tignall knows what to do with him. Um, and there's, there's definitely something there with him, you know, and if, if there is all-star upside, which I'm not saying it doesn't exist, you know, I mean, it, it, it does exist because, you know, a guy that makes those kind of passes and that at that size, that's a possibility. I just don't think it's very high, but if he can become like a 40% three point shooter that can shoot off screens and, shoot off movement and he gets strong enough to where he can play some five, he will be a freaking nightmare for opposing teams to defend. And he will make the thunder offense itself so hard to defend. Yeah. And that's what this season was for. Like Poku is what this season was for. Everything that Scott Van Pelt ranted about, like Poku would not have happened if the thunder like were insistent on being an average team and playing against the Grizzlies in this playing game. Like, he got the chance to experiment those things. He showed that he is willing to do those things. He's not a complete non-factor like some Hashim Tabit type or something that's going to be out of the league in a couple of years. 
Like he, yeah, the stats were bad. It sometimes it looked very bad also, but he was fun. He showed a willingness to do things. He showed some incredible flashes for a guy his size. And if we were trying to be competitive, we never would have gotten to see that this year. But instead, we you know got to treat half the season like it was a G League team playing against high-level competition. And so we got to see those flashes from Poku. He got to learn, like, yeah, the, the he didn't become, you know, some incredible player by the end of the year. But he learned that against high-level competition. And he, like you said, he's the youngest player in the league. He will get to continue to learn those things over the next couple of years. And we would not have gotten any of that if we were trying to be competitive for 72 games. Yeah. Um, I think my takeaway from Poku this season is ultimately, I think he performed really similarly uh, to how he did in the Greek second division, but he did it in the NBA. Um, and that says everything like he's like, it's like, Oh, okay. You know? So the flashes we saw in his weird scouting tapes in like church league gyms are like, they were real because he was able to do it against NBA defenders. And I man, I just think about that pass from the Suns game where he's he drives, he's under the rim and passes it and like throws it back out from basically out of bounds to the like opposite side wing and just hits Teo. And I mean, it was it I don't know how many players in the NBA can do that. Um and he's 19 years old and seven feet tall. Um, I mean, the dude was playing point guard in our last game. Yeah, you know? like and that's you know, granted, we weren't tr- we weren't particularly trying to win the game. We didn't really play very many guards of any kind. But just the idea that a 19 year old seven footer is even capable of being trotted out to an NBA basketball court as a point guard says something. Yeah, I mean, in that. There was that Memphis game at one point in the season where, like, we put out a Poku as point guard lineup, and it, like, they came back. They took the lead. I think we won that game. Yeah, we did. I was pissed that day. <laughs> I was so mad that day. Good but Lord. But it's like, what are you going to do? Like, if you can put out a lineup where Alexei Pokashevsky generates all of the offense and it works, what are you yeah. going to do? Like, right. Um. At the, yeah, so, like, I look at Poku, I still think there's, like, a real potential for him to be, like, an entirely unique player. I really, like, it is possible that he becomes Manu Ginobili at seven feet tall. I would take that. I would take that in a heartbeat. It's pretty good. Um, But, like, at at the same time, you know, maybe he is just Bruno Caboclo with a handle and, like, vision. But yeah, I don't Which think it is an that. NBA player. You can if Bruno Caboclo could dribble and had vision, he'd still be in the league. Yeah. You know, I yeah. So we all I mean, we all like Poku. I mean, and the dude is just he's so freaking entertaining, you know, like and yeah. that that was truly probably the most fun thing to watch about the Thunder this year. You know, go, he goes from a guy that, you know, I. I by draft time last year, we all were like, oh, let's take Poku. Let's do it. But, like, a month before the draft last year, I had never heard of him. You know, I had no idea who he was and didn't know what to make of him even at the draft. But now, like, I see what we liked about him. 
and yeah, there's there's definitely something there. And it, it really comes down to, man, if he can get stronger to where he's not just like the worst post defender in the history of basketball and he can play a little bit of like weak side help defense at the four and a little bit of five, like that's that could really unlock Shea especially. Like if you put mm-hmm. Shea out there with a center that can run off screens and shoot 40% from three, then like he's going to be unstoppable. Shea that is. Shea is going to be unstoppable in that, in that kind of setting. So um, to me that, and that's why I have him ahead of Lou Dort is in terms of the second most important player, you know, like he is the guy that could truly swing some things for the thunder that I, and I just, I don't think Dort can swing much for the thunder. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to, Another guy, another rookie. Let's talk about Teo Maladon. He was actually, he was my second most important, for the record. Teo was? Damn. Yeah. Wow. Because, well, and here's the thing. Teo is a backup point guard in the NBA. Like, he okay. just is, already. Um, yeah. And, like, Poku will be something or another. Lou Dort is, I mean, Lou, Lou Dort is great. He's going to be a role player in the NBA for a long time, presumably. Yeah. Teo Maladon is a backup point guard, and we got him in the second round. Um, he just is that. He's 19 years old, and he can do everything you would need a backup point guard to do. Okay, but I guess my question would be, though, like, for him to be your second most important guy, wouldn't there have to be some starter upside there for you? Like, is there anything to that? Like, do you think he could be? Like, I think he theoretically could play with Shea pretty easily and start. Um, I don't necessarily see that as like a desirable result right now. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's fair. Obviously. I mean, obviously Poku's ceiling is higher, um, yeah. but I just, I'm just really impressed with, and it's easy. I think it's easy to overlook because T- Poku is such a show, but like Teo was really good this year. No, I, th- I I agree. Sorry, keep talking. I don't want to interrupt you, but I have thoughts on Theo Maldon as well. I mean, he just he can he can run an NBA offense. Um, and he's six foot five, and he's nineteen years old. And I think I I mean, there's still there's still a lot for him to get better at. You know. I don't have his stats in front of me. On it, I bet his stats are way worse than I than they are in my head. Um, I mean, they're really not horrible for what he was coming into. Thirty three and a half percent from three on decent volume. Like his spot up shooting, he was thirty eighth percentile. So I mean, pretty low in that. But there's, I mean, he's a rookie in his first time playing in the United States. So yeah, as you know, passable. There's definitely room. For improvement with that, I think he showed a lot of great things. Um, his free throw percentage is fine. I think his shot looks okay. He's only 19. Um, so, yeah, I think depending on who your third guy, like who's playing the three for you, um, you know, if it's a 40% three-point shooting Cade Cunningham, like, yeah, I think Teo can easily play alongside Shea and Cade like that. Like, I think if you have one elite shooter – to go on the court with Shea, then Teo Maladon is perfectly fine starting at the one with Shea at the two. 
I well, I just I think of Teo as like the perfect like I I don't know if he's the perfect guy for this, but I I think it's a really great thing that we have Teo and Lou because um it's just like, you know, if you need a lockdown guy, you have Lou. And if you need just a little bit more shot creation, a little bit more ball movement, you have Teo. Um, you know, I I mean, I don't want to get into my dream lineups for the future of the Thunder, <laughs> but like Teo coming Teo coming off the bench and then like getting inserted into the starting lineup for just like bursts of offense is like a thing I think will happen. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think if if Teo has a a skill that I think he can be pretty damn good at it's his passing man mm-hmm. like he's already a solid passer but like some of the skip passes he makes especially out of the pick and roll is super interesting and he i definitely agree that you know i think he's a guy that can run a second unit for years you know and to me his starter upside comes if he can become like a 40 percent three-point shooter or a 39 percent three-point shooter you know, with mm-hmm. because he's you know he's taking shots off the dribble. That's one of the reasons why his percentage was fairly low from three. It's because he was taking a bunch of threes off the dribble. You mm-hmm. know, like, and that's to me is impressive. And um, so yeah, I think that there's there's definite upside. You know, I think his kind of median outcome, like I think his I guess not his median, but his floor right now would be his. He's going to be a, a decent backup point guard. You know, like at the very least, he's going to be able to come in and help you get into good offense. He's going to be able to run a pick and roll and get a guy an open corner three, you know. So I I I realize that there's like seven billion of these guys on this roster that you can say this about. But imagine if it was Teo Maladon instead of Samaj Christian in the uh, Russ MVP (laughs) year. Yeah, that would have been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I like him a lot. Um, There's a guy on Twitter. Polar Fall is a guy that uh, Sam Vecini has recommended a lot, and he talks about body mechanics and different things that most people aren't talking about with players. And his take on Teo Maladon was that if he had Gabriel Deck's thick upper body and wide shoulders, he'd be a good starting point guard already. So, like, that's not too far away. I mean, obviously, he can't increase the width of his shoulders, but I mean, if he's just gets, you know, puts some more muscle on, learns how to hold his own in the NBA, like, I think he's there to be a great player. Alex was saying, you know, 40% three-point shooter. I don't even think he needs that much. Um, obviously, Tony Parker is the lazy comp for Teo Maladon because of their relationship together. But in his, Tony Parker's prime years in San Antonio, like his, really his best years shooting were like 37% about. So, I mean, if he could get to that, I think he can play alongside Shea and one other elite shooter. I don't think Teo has to be the elite shooter on the court to be a starter with him. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of upside there. If you said, you know, second best player or second most important to the future, I don't, I don't shake my head at it, Ryan. <laughs> All right. So let, let's move on to a player that we probably can all agree had a bad season. Um, and that's, that's Darius Baisley. Um, I, you know, he had such a weird season, first of all, because 
you know, he came from a team that like, you know, had all of these get creators to where his role was essentially hit an open three if you can and run in transition and we'll find you. Um, and that just, first of all, it just, his shot just didn't go down this year. You know, like it just was pretty bad. You know, he had the injury that caused him to miss a large part of the season. And when he came back, he just, you know, the shooting was not there, but, um, so how, how are we doing with this, this former new balance employee? How do we feel about him? Yeah, um, it definitely wasn't an ideal season for him. It also just wasn't an ideal situation for him. You know, some guys where they were set up for success in Mark Dagnall's offense and just, you know, system as a whole without a whole lot of veteran leadership. That obviously was not great for Baisley. Um, I think, you know, there's still incredible upside. I think we're going to have to maybe bring someone in to help him find it. Um, it was not the most promising of years to say the least, but I, I think there's still, especially defensively, he still has the build for it. And I think someone just needs to get it out of him. Yeah, I think because the thing that we took away from that we took away from Baisley on the defensive end last year was, oh, he just does all the right things. He just doesn't make mistakes frequently. Um, and I think that like, that's really great when you're on a competent, cohesive defensive team. Um, but when you're not on a very good team, that doesn't help. Um, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, yeah, he, he makes his rotations, but he's like, he's going to get blown by because his rotations are more difficult because everyone is worse. Um, and then, yeah, just in terms of it's, it's weird because, Basically, coming into the league, I know we were really high on his ability as like a ball handling four, like as a playmaker. Um, and you sort of would think, you know, in the season where Chris Paul is no longer on his team, maybe he gets more chance to shine. And I mean, part of the fact is that this was a weird year. And I mean, I guess he did. I mean, he more than doubled his assists per game, but he's still like. He he was a, he has a negative assist to turnover ratio, um, and he he just had a bad year shooting the ball. Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of think of Darius Baisley as like a poor man's Ben Simmons, um, as like a decent comp for him. Which if you think about Ben Simmons, like the, uh, being a poor man's version of that, like there is not a very thin line to walk as far as being average. Like if you are that kind of player, you're either great at the things you do and you're a top 20 player like Ben Simmons or like the, the smallest of margins makes that kind of player just like unplayable in the NBA. And currently that's what Darius Baisley's at. Um, his body mechanics like offensively are all over the place. His defense, he shows signs he has the build to do it but he doesn't have necessarily the instincts yet and so that is not a great makeup um to be going off of in the present for sure mm-hmm. yeah i'm um, oh go ahead Alex. i'm i just want to say i'm fairly concerned about what we've seen from him in terms mm. of i am not sure that i can confidently say that I feel like he's ever going to be the ball handling for that we kind of thought he was 
going to be, you know, when we Mm -hmm. drafted him. Like, I mean, obviously he can dribble the basketball and he looks natural doing it. But I just don't see a guy that makes good decisions on the basketball court when he does have the ball in his hands. Um, And so I've kind of, in my mind at least, kind of settled into the idea that he's more of this guy that can be a decent off-ball player with that ball handling. Like if he can – but he's going to have to shoot it. Like if he can get to where he's shooting 35% from three and teams kind of respect that shot – like, I think he can take a compromised defense off the dribble and make something happen, but I don't think he's going to be a guy that is going to do much else with the ball in his hands. I think that for me, I want his decisions to be like as quick and simple as possible. Like you get the ball in this situation, you're going to shoot it or you're going to pass it to the next guy, or you're going to take the guy off the dribble because he's closing out on you. Right. And then maybe I actually think he could develop a decent mid range jumper. Like if that could be something that raises his upside, if he can become efficient that way. But I just I'm a little scared of of the the kind of basketball IQ things that I've seen from him. Like I think he has the skills as a ball handler, like in terms of dribbling it. But I just the decisions he makes in those situations, I'm not sure he's a guy that you actually want to utilize in that way. Yeah, and I guess the my issue with that is um, I don't know how many not smart decision makers can be on this basketball team moving forward. Like, it like the system Dagnall has implemented that Presti appears to be supporting with personnel decisions. Um, being a smart decision maker seems like a prerequisite, and. Well, I guess what I would say is that, like, I think in a simple role, he can be a good decision maker. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, if you make him essentially a 3 and D type player, I mean, obviously, he's going to have to shoot it. Like, that's non-negotiable. Like, he's going to have to shoot the ball a lot better than he did this year. But if he can do that, I think the decisions that he could make from that role – could fit him fairly well. Whereas I don't think he's a guy that's ever going to be a guy that you want the ball in his hands, initiating anything. You know that's what I fair. mean? Yeah. And like, cause I, that's where I think his decision-making is, is not good. Yeah. You haven't given up on him as a guy who could like take a guy off a closeout and then make the right read at the rim. No. Not at all. Like, I think I think he has starter upside. Like, he could start at some point. Like, if he if he shoots the basketball well, he can be a starter in the NBA. You know, like, he, I think he has enough defensive potential. I mean, he might be the starting four. You know, like, I don't know how the draft's going to shake out over the next few years. But, like, if you told me in five years that Darius Baisley's starting at the four for the Thunder, I wouldn't be shocked by it. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, I would be very... I would be like, oh, that's awesome. You know, he he learned how to shoot. That's great. But um, well, he'd have to get pretty stinking good to stay yeah, in front say, of Poku. <laughs> I mean, like maybe they they run a three four type thing. You know, like I think they're both pretty you know combo forward esque players. You know, so you know it just depends on what else the the roster brings. You know, if they they get another three or something, but. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I'm not out on Baisley. I'm just, I'm just concerned. I guess is, our is our uh, collective opinions on Baisley just now, I think, might have made me out on him. Unfortunately. Yeah. I don't. I don't necessarily think he's ever going to shoot it well enough to be a guy. Yeah, he's it, been reading so many polar fart fall takes that he just. <laughs> I really have in that and like most most of the thing that Polar Fall has said about Darius Baisley is like kind of with his driving is with you know how he he doesn't square his shoulders when he gets to the rack he likes he's you know left-handed but he looks like a natural right-handed player so that you know obviously doesn't bode well for learning how to shoot it better Um, he likes to do some different things on his layups when he's met with contact at the rim that uh, isn't conducive to improving. So, yeah, I just don't know. And then with, with the jumper, like, I I haven't personally seen much. His stats got worse this year. Obviously, it was a, wasn't the best situation. You're not playing with Chris Paul anymore. Um, SGA was out for a lot of it. So, he wasn't probably wasn't getting great looks from three. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that he ever gets to a point where he can shoot it well enough to be in the starting lineup. I don't think he ever gets to the point. Like, I... I would think that his best path for success is if he becomes that primary ball handler where he is the creator in the pick and roll. And I think Alex sold me on the fact that that's never happening either. So I really don't know what the avenues are for Baisley to become like a, a even a good player. Yeah. I hope no, I'm proven wrong. The, the one thing that gives me some hope in, in the re- this regard is that I think back to that Houston series last year and he was good. Like he played well in that series. And like, he was a guy that I remember distinctly wanting to be on the basketball court. You know, I wanted him out there instead of Steven Adams. I wanted him out there instead of Nerlens Noel. I wanted him out there instead of Gallo in game seven, you know, cause Gallo was terrible, you know, but like, he was a guy that I was comfortable with him on the court in that role where he wasn't asked to make very many decisions. And he he maybe he was just going through a hot streak shooting wise. He shot it well enough in that series, you know. And so I don't think it's particularly high, like a high percentage chance that he's going to become like a good shooter. But like, you know, guys can become good shooters, you mm-hmm. know, like Lou Dort can become a good shooter. If Lou Dort can do it, I think Darius Baisley can do it. You know, and that's what I'm kind of holding on to with him. Um, and I mean, we talked about him fifth, so obviously I'm not like insanely high on him. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I I like all of the other guys that we talked about, you know, better than him. But um, yeah, that's kind of where I where I stand with yeah. with with Baisley. So there. I do want to kind of rapid fire some of these other guys. You know, um, who is a good shooter? Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome. Yeah, of course. We got to talk about Ty Jerome. Just, and let, like, seriously, let's keep this short. We are, you know, we, we're, you know, naturally we're going fairly long. Yeah. But no, I, I think Ty Jerome, I know, Alex, you were pretty low on him when he came over because he is like, he's not athletic at all. His wing, like, I think he probably has the shortest wingspan in the NBA as far as like, like, he has a negative, I think, negative one or negative two wingspan at 6'5. So not great yeah. for playing defense, but his offense. Uh, was incredible this year. He was such a high percentile in pick and roll ball handling and spot up shooting, which are the two things you would want from him. 
Um, I think Mark Dagnall's offense was great for him. I think he's a great fit for it. Um, if he can just hold his own on defense, I think he has like Boyan Bogdanovich upside. Um, he's a bit Ooh. smaller. No, he's not not like that much, but he's. I mean, the offense is like Boyan Bogdanovich. Yeah. He can create. He can spot up. Um, yeah. He just unfortunately is two inches shorter and don't know what Bogdanovich's wingspan is. But uh, yeah, less athletic. So the defense is not there, um, but he is more than capable of of handling a you know eighth or ninth guy offensive role. And so I think he he can at least stick around. Yeah, my I guess my my take with with Ty Jerome is that I just don't see how him and like I I guess like the role that I envision him taking is similar to kind of with Teo and like I just don't want two of those kind of guys on my team you know like if for some reason we find a way to get a good asset for Teo Maladon like sure you know keep Ty Jerome around but like you know if you if you play both of them like it'll work offensively that you know Mm -hmm. that will that's fine like I'm not arguing that but like you're just gonna suck on defense if you got both of those guys out there no that's fair but yeah, any any Ty Jerome takes right? Will he be on the team in three years? Uh, I think he could be. I don't think he's a. I don't think he plays in the playoffs. If he does, I think he's. Uh, I mean, I think he's he's fine. I think his shooting could be useful in spot stretches. Um, but I wouldn't yeah. prioritize his development over Teo's, and I, you know, I wouldn't shed a tear if he were gone. Sure. Okay. All right, let's go. Let's go to another guy that you know. I think he surprised a lot of people, and you know, I've kind of he's been on my radar for ever since he was draft eligible. But Kenrich Williams uh, was essentially a throw-in in the Stephen Adams trade that has just turned out to be like one of the best trades the Thunder have ever made. It's a, uh, look, it's astonishing. I can, yeah. I can't get over the Stephen Adams trade. Like, yeah, not to advertise another podcast, but like down to like. The down to dunk guys keep bringing up the possibility that we trade back for Steven Adams. And it would just be the funniest thing in the goddamn world if that happened. Yeah. Because they would have to give us something to get him. Yeah. You know, like, which would be hilarious. But with Kenrich Williams, man, like this guy, if he were 23 years old, like I would be like so far in on him. Like I would feel confident that he's he's going to be on the next good Thunder team. Um, as it stands, I think he's probably going to be on the next good Thunder team because he's just like a perfect role player in terms like the dude shot on very low volume, 44% from three, but his shot looks good. He has a shot that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. We'll say, um, and he, he plays great defense. He works his ass off on the offensive boards. Like he got so many annoying offensive rebounds this year that pissed me off at the time. Um, but looking ahead, you know, if we find a couple of other guys that can create a little bit, like Kendrick Williams is the exact type of player that you want on that kind of team. And, you know, right now, you know, he shot 57% from the free throw line this year, which is really bad. On low volume, like it's everything is is fairly small sample size, but I'm envisioning a role where he really wouldn't ever get to the free throw line. You know, like if he's just literally standing in the corner 
and crashing the offensive glass, that guy's not getting to the line very often anyways. So like, you know, I think he's kind of the perfect role player that can play the three or the four or even the two. And he's going to defend his ass off. And, you know, he is the kind of guy you want. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I really think that like Kenrich Williams is just, he's just a guy who contributes to winning basketball in every facet of his game. Um, and it was really, it was frankly really annoying at the start of the season. And like a lot of things had to be changed about this team for his contributions to stop mattering. Um, yeah, that's the kind of guy you want when you have Russell Westbrook and Paul George, not the kind of guy you want when you're trying to bottom out. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, like, just think about how amazing he would have been on those teams, sliding right in at the four next to Paul George. Like, it would have been, yeah. it would have been awesome. But yeah. Nah. Um, it's a shame that he's going to be in the Domas trade and therefore won't be on the next winning Thunder team. But Ooh, uh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Um, all right. Now with that, are there anybody else? Is there anyone else on the roster that we even think is important at all? I think, I think Sfima Kyluk is, um, he was, Ooh. whenever we traded for him, I didn't think so at all. I thought, you know, this guy played four years at Kansas. He's super old. Like he's average, whatever. I don't care about him. He came out. So I was shocked. He's only 23. Like I thought Kendrick he, he Williams. Was, he was 16 when he started at Kansas. By yeah, the way. it's unreal because <laughs> I was like, he played there forever. I, I wasn't crazy. He played there all four, four years, years, like I thought. Yeah. Um, he was the same draft class as Kenrich Williams, who played, uh, I think he might have gone Juco or something. He was at TCU for four years. Um, but he's Kenrich, and they were drafted the same year, and Kenrich Williams is three years older than Sfina yeah. Kyluk. So, like, he is still insanely young. So, knowing that he's only 23, going to be 24 next season, um, I mean, yeah, I think there might be something there if he can. You know, keep with the shot 40% from three last year. He was not great as great from three this year, uh, 33%. I mean, if he's a 40% three point shooter, six foot seven, yeah, I think he he's definitely a guy that fits the timeline too. Okay. Uh, yeah, I like Speed. Um, I think he's he's gonna be he's like uh, you know, if he's the like ninth guy off the bench in on a the next good Thunder team, I'm happy for him. Yeah. And I can't believe I didn't talk about Isaiah Roby yet. I love Isaiah Roby. I think he's perfect for um, he was awesome. Like his his pick and roll as the role man efficiency this year was incredible. I think he's perfect with Shea. Um, I think he's great with Mark Dagnall. Like I I like Isaiah Roby a lot coming out. I think he's proven this year, especially like I think he's a, a usable player going forward as well. Interesting. Like, I'll I say think this I might, about Isaiah Roby is um, Isaiah Roby does have the Lou Dort thing where some of his three-point misses are just hilariously off, like the worst I've ever seen. Um, and I don't even think that means anything. It's just very <laughs> funny. I Yeah, I'm fairly out on, on Roby. Like, I think he's, I think he's a five, um, and he's, he's six, eight. Like, I, I just, yeah, I, I'm kind of out on him just personally. Like, I mean, if he can shoot it, great. Like, if he becomes like a upper 30s three-point shooter then there's something there but like i just i question that yeah his, his shooting his shooting was brutal this year but i mean yeah, yeah if you if you a guy's that small playing the five you definitely want him to shoot but man he was yeah. i think he showed some things 
this year, and essentially his first year. So, I mean, right. I don't, I don't hate Roby. I think he's like, I think on a good team he would be like a decent third big, like a specialist for small ball situations. Um, but it's like there are all the you can't have four ninth guys on the roster. Yeah. Um. I don't know Toronto the 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 2019 Toronto Raptors Raptors beg to differ. <laughs> yeah. All right, so so we'll we'll just call it there in terms of going through the roster. I don't I don't think there's anyone else that we really yeah. care Sorry about. Sorry, Moses Brown stands out there. Yeah, he's he's not good. He's no, not going to be here. He's much. just tall. Yeah, he this is, is the actually thing. just like, tall. Is he is the guy hot or is he just tall? But it's basketball with Moses Brown, right? Like, yeah. Is he a good is he a good center or is he just tall? Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the draft because I think that that's going to be the, you know, that's going to be the thing, you know, for for the Thunder. You know, this is probably without question the biggest draft in the history of the Thunder, um, at least the Oklahoma City Thunder since they've been here. So. Um, I wanted to kind of talk about and kind of rank because there is a consensus top five um, for the Thunder or there's a consensus top five in this draft. And I kind of wanted to rank the five guys in terms of how we would see their fit on the Thunder and how, you know, if, if the Thunder got the number two pick, like who would we want the Thunder to take? Because obviously, if they get one, we want them to take Cade. That's easy. Um, I think we all agree there. But um, so let's in this hypothetical scenario, the Thunder wind up with the number two pick. How how do we feel like? How do we feel about those players? Like, how would we rank who we would want the Thunder to take at that pick? Um, I think Mobley number one. Really? Okay. Uh, and I, which is so funny because I, I, there are probably multiple episodes of this podcast where we talk, we're talking about the rebuild. And I think you, Alex, had said that if the Thunder take a center with a high lottery pick, that you're done, that you're out. <laughs> um, but there, I, like, I think Mowley's really good. I think his style of play is exactly what the Thunder want across the five positions. Um, and I think center will be by far our biggest position of need because as we established, Moses Brown isn't actually good and Al Horford won't be on the team. So um, yeah. I think Mobley is both the best player available and fills our most, our biggest position of need. Yeah. How about you, Sam? I think um, I, I like Evan Mobley a lot. I like I'd be fine with any of the guys in the top five. It'll be kind of heartbreaking if like our pick lands at six or something. Um, I think if you think Jalen Suggs is going to be an elite shooter, I think Jalen Suggs is number one. I just think the dude like I think he's not that Evan Mobley isn't a great fit. I just think Jalen Suggs is also a perfect fit. I think he's cooler. <laughs> Um, so I think that should be factored in. I just think Jalen Suggs is like super fucking cool. Um, I think if he's going to shoot it, if he's an on-ball creator like Shea, I think he's the perfect fit next to Shea that allows you 
to have Teo come off the bench. Um, if he's, you know, 33% shooter like he was this year at Gonzaga, then I'm with Ryan. I think you'd take Mobley there. But if you see enough from him in the offseason before the draft, like you think he's going to hit, you know, 38% on pull-ups and be close to 38, 40% overall from three, I think he's the guy. Okay. I really like how this is shaping up because we each have we have three different players. You're about to go Jalen Green? I'm all in on Jalen Green. Oh guys. my god. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really like Jalen Green. Yeah. Like I just think that he has the potential to be the best scorer in the draft. Um and if you put a guy that's gonna like just be a walking bucket in the NBA next to Shea, like that is a freaking lethal backcourt that most teams are not going to be able to handle. Um, I, yeah, I, and this is like going into the year, I was like, eh, I'm a little, I was lower on, on Jalen green, but um, I've, I've, he's definitely grown on me for the last month or so. And I, I just really like him. I think he, like he is, he's the best athlete of the group, like by far really. Um, and he's so explosive. If he can become, and one of the reasons why I like him so much is because he would be going to the Thunder, you know. Like if mm-hmm. if, if he were going, Cavs. if he were going to the Cavs, that would be a concern. <laughs> I'm so, I, no, this has to happen now because I just really need to see the Cavs just go all in on playing just Sexton, Garland, and Green next to each other all the time. Yeah, yeah, that would be horrific to watch. But yeah, like if if you get Jalen Green and you develop good habits with Jalen Green as an offensive player and you develop him defensively, I he could wind up being the best player in the draft, you know? And like that is the guy that I'd be willing to to take the chance on and at the number two pick because one of the things I think the Thunder, you know, they've shown the willingness to do is they're willing to swing for the fences, you know? Um, you know, they obviously they swung for the fences with Poku. Um, you know, you could say they, they swung for the fences with Russ, you know, when they drafted him. So like, I, I think it's, I think it's a really good fit. Um, and I'll, I'll go ahead and just kind of give the rest of my top five, but I have Jalen green number two or number one in that, this situation where Kate is excluded. Um, and then I have Jalen Suggs number two. I really like the fit of Jalen Suggs because he is a really good defender um, and he's super strong too. So, you know, you could throw out lineups with Shea, Dort and Suggs and like it's small, but they're going to defend people that way. You know what I mean? And I, I think that that could be really good. And even if he doesn't become a great shooter, he's still, you know, a fairly elite athlete. You know, I think maybe some of his explosiveness is overstated a little bit by people, but he's a really good athlete. And at the very least, the dude knows how to play basketball and he's going to help you win basketball games. You know, so I, I really like Jalen Suggs. At number three, I I go then to Evan Mobley, who for everything that Ryan said, you know, he's a super interesting player. You know, he fits our biggest need, which is is always good. The only reason why I don't have him as number one is, is, is the center thing, you know, like I, I don't, I don't want to take the center that high if there's elite perimeter players at that spot. 
um, because you can, you know, you can find Rashawn Holmes, you know, you can find somebody like that. That's a good player. Um, or you can draft, you can find a, a center later in the draft, maybe, you know, and, yeah. and find something that way. But, well, here's uh, a, here's a fun thing. Um, in case the Thunder end up with the Rockets pick at five, um, the, uh, apparently the Cavs are going to, are just going in on the Jared Allen train. They're going to give him a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So that's a decision. Yeah. So if the Cavs end up in front of us, uh, in front of that five spot, uh, they probably aren't going to take Mobley. Yeah. What I think that means. Yeah. Just about, you know, some other team maybe, but yeah, I mean, no, the dream would be like, if you get one and five and the dream scenario would be like, you get Kate at number one. And then, then I would love to get Mobley at five. Like, I think if you get your perimeter guy, then adding a guy like Mobley is, it's just a freaking home run, you know? Um, but yeah, so I, I just thought that was an interesting kind of exercise. And I, I really liked that we, we all had different number ones. Do you guys want to go ahead and finish your rankings or? Um, yeah, I think mine, I'd go Jalen Suggs. After that, I mean, you've, you've kind of sold me on Jalen Green. I I want to watch some more Ignite games. Because honestly, when I first watched the Ignite, I just watched their first game. Um, I liked Kaminga more than Jalen Green. Um, just yeah. like, I mean, Which, it's their first game. I forgot game. to mention him. Yeah. Um, he exists. Kam- He's my yeah, fifth. Yeah, Kaminga, I guess you have him at fifth. Um, that's probably where I have him now, too. Um, when I watched their first game, I liked what I saw from him more, but that's one game when, you know, these two 18 year olds playing against grown men for the first time. Um, yeah. I watched the second game whenever we signed Charlie Brown. I watched uh, when the G League night played the Iowa Wolves and I was less impressed with Kaminga then. And still, uh, my opinion of Jalen Green at that time was about the same as it was from the first games that, you know, I saw him as kind of a inefficient score that was going to rely on athleticism a lot that, um, might not necessarily work in 2021, looked like a lazy defender. Um, but I think from what you've said about Jalen Green, from what other experts have said about Jalen Green, um, if he's, we, we, the Thunder definitely could use that type of, we need an elite score with Shea. Um, Shea's a great score, but he's never going to be an elite score. So if Jalen Green is an elite score, then I think I'd put him number two and then Evan Mobley number three and Kaminga at four out of those four guys. Um, and maybe I'll watch more Kaminga and put him ahead of Evan Mobley. Um, I think as long as, if you get two picks in the top five, that is an incredible situation. I'm not going to be mad with whoever they come away with. Um, 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm be, fine. I will be sad if it's not Cade. Yeah. Fair, and I, I know that like, obviously that's the least likely scenario, but it's just, um, it, I really want Kate Cunningham on this basketball team. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, I think I, uh, yeah, I think my ranking is probably the same as Sam's. Um, the one thing about Kuminga is like, there's a chance that like his bad shooting in the G League is like not real, right? Yeah. Um, and like, <laughs> If that's the case, this is like maybe Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, Jaylen but that's Brown, like maybe. that would be that's like swinging for a different ballpark's fence. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I was with Sam, honestly, at the beginning of the G League season whenever, because uh, I, I did watch that game as well, that first game, and Kaminga shot it really well that day. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was one of his, his few shoot, good shooting games, but mm-hmm. so it was, it's easy to fall in love with a guy when he's he's 6'8", you know, big, he's got an NBA body already, and he's making threes out there, um, so that was that was kind of easy, but, you know, the more, the more highlights you watch of, of Jalen Green, it's just like, okay, this there are not a lot of guys in the NBA that can do this, you know, like he is that elite Uber athlete. You know, I think that, you know, people talk about how Jalen Suggs is super explosive. And I think that, like I said, it's overstated a little bit. It's not overstated at all with, with Jalen green. Like he's like Zach Levine type athleticism, you know? Mm. So, and it would be, it would be on the thunder at that point to keep him from being the Zach Levine player, you know, which Zach Levine's a good player. He's a great scorer, but he has a lot of bad habits that don't necessarily help you win basketball games. And I, I trust the thunder in their ability to, you know, let Jalen green be that great scorer that also contributes in other ways and helps you win basketball games. You know what I mean? I can't imagine how you would develop bad habits going from the Timberwolves to the bulls. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Right. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I where I stand and um, and all all the draft and like I just thinking about the anxiety that I'm gonna feel on the lottery day gives me anxiety. Like it just it's not gonna be a good day, you know. Like I'm just going to be nervous that whole day, um, and then the actual actually watching the results come in is it's just going to be excruciating but you know it's it's truly going to be one of the biggest days in, in thunder history you know and they if they if they wind up if they wind up with four and five you know if they get two top five picks you know if it's four and five you're happy you know like it's it's a freaking home run you know um one and five is like the the all-time i think was there like a four or five percent chance of that happening or something like i, I don't yeah, even I know i mean it's low but it's, it's low. entirely possible it's about five percent the thing that yeah to remember like it's like a 47 percent chance to get that they get the rockets pick which i mean that is you know a little less than a coin flip you know you take those odds you know and then whatever happens to their pick i think the actual most likely pick for them is number seven or six i can't remember I think that the the odds for them getting the seven pick might be the actual highest odds that they have, but you know they're yeah, still well, not in yeah. like a horrible. But, but position. the nature of the odds distribution is that it's more likely that it will be one of the top four picks than it will be seven. Right. Yeah. For sure. For sure. You know. So, you know, God, it would just it would like in the 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 thing the reason why it's such a big deal is that like if if the Thunder get two and five or three and five or one in five, it's like the rebuild is, it's not over, but you've kind of hopefully, you know, acquired the talent that you were wanting to get in the first place when you started this whole thing Yeah. after one year, you yeah. know? And if you get Cade, I know we've had talks like, if you get Cade, we should trade for Demana Sabonis and just go all in, you know, like that. And I, I don't hate that idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you get Cade, the you know, then you go, you go with Shea and Cade, and just just see it, see what happens. 
you know. Mm-hmm. But all right, is there is there anything else we want to talk about? Who's going to win the title this year? Um. Well, uh, the Nets, right? Um, I bet on the Nets to win, so I'm going to say the Nets. Yeah, I think I think I, the Nets I, win too. That pisses me off. Yeah. I mean. Right now, there's a three-point deficit um, sort of working against me on this point, but I still think it's the Lakers. Really? I, I'm i super I, – I just don't think it's their year, man. I just don't I think mean, it is. I mean, tremendously bad injury luck this year. Yeah. Um, and I just – the Nets are just so much better than I thought they would be. Yeah. You know? Like, I – I did think they would have problems defensively and even some offensive problems. And maybe that comes to play in the, in the playoffs, but man, they're just so good on offense. It's just too insane when all three of them play together. And yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Cause and, they all can shoot. Like none of them are guys that you can leave. Like it's, it's yeah. just, a you ha- I mean, yeah, with. you have to play all three of them, honestly. And even if you do that, like Katie will score 25 points every game and, and Harden can, can get anybody except Lou Dort, you know, like it. Yeah. Well, like you, I, you will not you keep need... up with them. If, if the Nets don't play defense, you won't keep up with them, but they also can play defense enough to where like, it's not even worth trying to keep up with them. Yeah. Like you would need it. You would need a night that like Katie has a normal night and he scores 25 points. Harden implodes and you are able to shut down Kyrie. And then also you have a good offensive night. Yeah, it, well, the way I see it, like, the hope for other teams is that Harden has a tendency to fold in the playoffs. Like, that is that is known, you yeah. know. Kyrie is not on the level of Harden or KD. So, yeah. and then KD also has shrunk in the playoffs multiple times. You know, if you get in his head a little bit, he will shrink. You know, like he got in a situation in Golden State where he, you know, he was, you know, at times getting wide open shots because teams were double teaming Steph. Like, so it was like the easiest situation in the world for him. So, like, you know, that could happen, you know. So I, I'm interested to see what, you know, if you get a guy that's pesky and on on KD to see how he reacts in this situation. Because it will be, I mean, it'll be the first high level basketball he's played since, you know, the Achilles. Yeah. Yeah, it's um. Oh, what was I gonna say? It's it's gonna be interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it isn't. <laughs> I, I think it will. I think I think Philly is actually for real this year. I think. Um, I mean, I think especially since. Brooklyn doesn't have the one seed. I think it could get interesting in these because they will presumably have to play what Milwaukee like? and That's, Philly. I believe yeah. they're they're two, right? And Milwaukee's three and uh, Philly's yeah. one. So they'll probably have to play both of those teams, which I think they're decidedly better than uh, both of them. But it'll be interesting that they have to play both of them. There's just more opportunities to slip up. I think um, maybe it seems like Bud has learned from his past mistakes with the don't do this the Bucks do and that. the Hawks. No, and, no, no, no. I'm not not that they're you know they're gonna win this year, but he seemed like you don't have to be 60 and 12 or whatever they could have been this year. Like you don't have to be the one seed. You can chill. You can take it easy. Um, yeah. Drew Holiday is very still very good, 
Um, I yeah. think the Bucks are a better team than they were last year. And just because, you know, they weren't, you know, trying to set like the net rating record this year. Like, I think they're still a formidable opponent. Um, I think the Clippers are more serious than they were last year. I think the Lakers, when the playoffs come around, they're still going to be the Lakers. Um, it sucks that Jamal Murray is hurt because I think the Nuggets were for real, for real. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's. I think there is more intrigue than uh, you'd be led to believe. I, Michael Porter Jr. is awesome. He's very good. Like, yeah. goddamn, that guy. It's so freaking stupid that he went where he did in the draft. Like, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't give a shit what his medicals were. I know there was some concerns about character. Like, I don't care draft that guy at 10 you know and no one's gonna blame you if it doesn't work out you mm-hmm. know like oh that was just ridiculous but hey but man i mean 44 percent from three on the shots he's taking that like nobody should have seen that like that's unreal oh sure 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 uh, i mean he's he's been better than i thought he would be but like a guy with that potential to score the ball yeah i mean it, it, kind of like you said, I, I can't. You can't blame people if they took him at ten. Yeah, you, know, you can't blame them for taking the shot on him. I also can't necessarily blame people for passing up on him. Um, eh, maybe to the extent of letting him fall to fourteen, I can blame people for passing up on him. I mean, you think the Clippers could have probably used him over Jerome Robinson? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, I yeah. Mean, that one's kind. That one's kind of egregious. Um, like it's. I mean, and like Shea was picked before him. Like there was some good players taken for him, mm. but you know there was some bad players taken for him too. You know, and wasn't too hard to see those those coming and just like yeah on the ten percent chance that Michael Porter Jr. would turn out as good as he has. Like I think you take that that swing every mm-hmm. time. Yeah. But man, relitigating that draft will be like an all time basketball pastime. Yeah, yeah. Cause, I mean, you got the Luca and Trey thing. Um, Aiton oh, is yeah. good, but not Luca good. Um, I mean, the Kings, Kevin Knox rookie of the year. Yeah, no kidding. The, the Kings drafted Marvin Bagley. Like, yeah, they they, they got sure this insane stroke of luck to jump into the top two, and they took Marvin Bagley. And the next three guys are all like all-star type guys you know like if you take luca you're set if you take jaron jackson jr you don't look ridiculous it's still you should have still taken luca if you take trey young you don't look ridiculous but man that was so bad colin sexton's been good mikhail orlando took mo bamba at six they did they did i supported that decision at the time I did too. I liked Mo Bamba. I thought he was going to be. I didn't necessarily think Rudy with a three, but I was I was relatively high on him. Yeah. But yeah, I mean Jerome Robinson, the pick before Michael Porter Jr. The Knicks, the Knicks take take Michael Porter Jr. Next, why why would you take Kevin Knox? Yeah, you know. So it's that draft is 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 one of those those crazy ones so how good is philly if they keep mikhail bridges yeah he's the kind of player they need man yeah 
Where is Zaire Smith now? Is he in the NBA? I think he's still recovering from his sesame allergy from you know two years ago <laughs> that he almost died from. Is that right? Good lord. God, that it's God, it's incredible that a franchise that cursed won the East. Yeah, no kidding. Just tells you how good Embiid is. Yeah. Man. All right. Well, I think that's where we should end this. You know, the Lakers and the Warriors are playing right now as we speak. Would like to watch that. So yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening to this, the return episode of the Oklahoma Drill. Um, we'll probably be back in some capacity for some time now that we have more time in our lives. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or on Podbean. Um, and uh, follow us on Twitter at Perd underscore Happily, at RWMaxi, and at NotThatSamDavis. Uh, and we'll see you around. <laughs>